As many of you know, it is my stated intention to retire as your installed associate pastor, effective April 30th, 2024. In light of that, if the Lord wills over the course of the next 11 months, I will from time to time preach a sermon, which we might say is a part of a series of my farewell sermons to this beloved congregation. Today is the first of these farewell sermons, and it is entitled, Inconsequential Faith or Intentional Faith. I now invite you to open your Bible or one of the pew Bibles to the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans for the reading of God's Word, recorded in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Let us attend with reverence to the reading of God's inspired, inerrant, infallible, and absolutely authoritative Word. Let us pray. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray that You will speak to us through Your Word written in Scripture. Guard our hearts and minds. Guard and guide my words. Grant us ears to hear and hearts to receive the truth of what you say. In Jesus' name we pray, and for his sake, amen. Romans 12, beginning at verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever, and to his name be all praise, honor, glory, and dominion. Amen. Inconsequential faith or intentional faith? That question expresses the big idea of this sermon. You could also entitle it, Dress Up, Show Up, Check the Box, Churchianity, or Deliberate Discipleship. You could summarize it in terms of the question, Worldliness or Holiness, or based on Romans 12.2, Conformity to the World. Or, conformity to Christ. Parts of this sermon are going to be a little difficult and could be personally painful, but I want you to know, first of all, how much I affirm and appreciate the faith and the commitment of you, the Congregation of Covenant Presbyterian. How much I affirm and appreciate your love for God, your love for one another, 
your love for God's Word, your love for your pastors, your zealous worship, your commitment to missions, your financial generosity, the care that you show to one another, your willingness to make personal sacrifices and service to one another. I want you to know from the outset how much I appreciate and affirm your faithfulness to the Lord Jesus Christ. As the Apostle Paul wrote to the Philippians, I give thanks in all my remembrance of you. I want to say that at the outset. The world is constantly seeking to conform us into its own mold. Sometimes in very overt and obvious ways, such as the sexualization of everything, but sometimes in very subtle yet powerful ways, such as the constant busyness, distraction, the trivialities of contemporary American life, the fear of missing out, especially of regarding our children, the overscheduling of organized activities, and all the consequences of that. How about the fear of missing out on family meals together at the table? That'd be a good thing to fear missing out on. So these are difficult days, and, 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 and therefore, as always, since the time the apostle wrote the letter to the Romans, but, but perhaps for us in a particular way that we've never experienced before these days, we need to hear the voice of God speaking in Scripture saying to us, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Now, let me give you a little warning. There are going to be some unseemly parts of this sermon. Parents with children in the sanctuary, if your child asks you a difficult question about what he or she heard today, I, I suggest you say something like this simply and straightforwardly. It is sin, it is very bad, and it is very sad. Very bad and very sad things happen when people don't know God, don't love God, and don't obey His Word. But we are going to follow Jesus no matter what. And Jesus will always take care of us no matter what. Preface concluded, and now introduction. Two weeks ago, your pastor Jonathan preached a very, very, very good sermon on the relationship between shepherds and their flock. That is, the relationship between pastors and elders and the congregation. It was one of the best pastoral sermons, pastorally addressing a local congregation that I have ever heard. If you were not here two weeks ago, I hope that you will go to the website and listen to that sermon because if you don't understand the biblical concept of this congregation as a flock with shepherds, then you will never really understand who we are and who we want to become as a congregation. You will never really understand what it means to be a member of this congregation. 
And Pastor Jonathan's concluding exhortation to you, the flock, was be willing to be shepherded by your pastors and elders. That was an exhortation to live with intentional faith, deliberate discipleship. And then last Sunday, Pastor Jonathan preached another very, very good pastoral and practical sermon from the conclusion of the Gospel of John in which he exhorted us all at whatever stage of life we are in to run our discipleship race following Jesus without distraction. If you weren't here, I hope that you will access it on the website and listen to it. Again, it was a sermon about intentional faith, deliberate discipleship. And so today, I hope to build on those two sermons. They, they, they sort of inspired me to preach this sermon, but especially now in the light of the world in which we are living and raising our children and grandchildren, and the, otherwise the children of this congregation. These days require intentional faith, deliberate discipleship, and conformity to Christ, not conformity to the world. Dress up, show up, check the box. Dress up, show up when you can. Show up when you got nothing else to do. Dress up, show up, check the box. Churchianity just will not do. So now, let the sermon begin. It has three parts. Where are we? How did we get here? Where do we go from here? Where are we? I don't think I need to tell you, I don't think I need to tell you that we are now living in the words of Dr. Carl Truman in a strange new world. We're going to have a course this summer starting in June on Dr. Truman's book, Strange New World. And I hope, especially after you hear this sermon today, that you'll sign up and be there on Wednesday nights. This is where it gets a little difficult. I don't have to mention everything, do I? I don't really. You don't really want to hear the litany, do you? Transgenderism is being pushed mainstream. I will spare you the shocking illustrations. But given all the recent controversy over the destruction of women's athletics and the beer commercials and the makeup commercials, and the male models in women's swimsuits, you can see that the proponents of this demonic movement are doubling down. And the movement has the support and praise not only of the media and the entertainment industry, what else is new, but also now corporate America, big money. And you know that this movement with the support of some politicians threatens the rights of parents to make decisions regarding their minor children in this regard. Don't sleep through this. Where are we? We're in a strange new world. The Florida legislature has found it necessary to pass a bill prohibiting teachers or others from discussing gender identity in kindergarten through third-grade classrooms? You need legislation to prohibit that? Here in Louisiana, our own beloved Julia Letlow has seen the need to put forward a parent's bill of rights 
ensuring that parents have a right to know what is being taught in the government-run schools and have a voice in the government-run school system. Imagine a parent's bill of rights. But you can bet, and you better be aware, that yes, there are some in our own local government-run school systems right here who consider parents to be a problem. I have that on good authority. And you know, once grand and beautiful major U.S. cities, New York City, San Francisco, Seattle, Chicago, are being literally or figuratively burned to the ground due to lawlessness unleashed. And of course, there's more. But enough thus far. Brothers and sisters, we are living in truly unprecedented and revolutionary times under the influence of demonic darkness and pagan idolatry. That is not an overstatement. It is not histrionics. But it's so easy to go along, get along, and be conformed to this world, living an inconsequential faith without deliberate discipleship. It's so easy to think that this craziness does not really affect us and our children, but it does. That's the reason that Pastor Jonathan and Scott and I are so passionately zealous about you and your children's growth in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We want to be a citadel of the kingdom of Christ, an outpost of heaven on earth. We want to become increasingly a congregation of Christians whose minds are renewed by the truth of the Word of God. Listen, not a congregation of confused sheep without a shepherd. Or of people whose minds have become debased and darkened by false teaching and the delusions of demons. The forces of secularism and paganism press upon us continually. The Word of God exhorts us and admonishes us, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That is absolutely necessary for us in this strange new world in which we live. Part 2. How did we get here? That could be a long answer detailing various factors a perfect storm of historical, political, philosophical, and cultural influences come to the course, come to Wednesday night fellowship starting in June. But let me give you a brief answer with a particular focus. How did we as a nation get here? Simply, by rejecting the Bible as the authoritative Word of God for the past 100 years. When a society collectively rebels against the Creator in all of its public institutions, government, education, etc., when a society collectively 
rebels in personal morality against the Creator, rejects His revealed truth, and does not acknowledge God or honor God as God, then that society, that culture, that nation comes under the wrath of God. And God gives them up to a debased mind. Romans 1. That's where we are. That's how we got here. We've been going down this road for a long time. We can go back roughly 150 years ago in round figures when the unholy trinity of Charles Darwin, Karl Marx, and Sigmund Freud began to permeate the intellectual, political, educational, and moral landscape of Western Europe and North America. Many, many influential people today worship at the altar of that unholy trinity. And they have a great influence on American culture. You know, termites work busily for a long time, silently and invisibly destroying the foundation of a building. But when it collapses, it collapses fast. That's what has happened. The changes that have swept over us in just these last ten years seem like they've come as a blitzkrieg out of nowhere. But that blitzkrieg has been coming for a long time. We just went along with it, with an inconsequential faith, without deliberate discipleship, conformed to this world. How did we get here? Well, think about it. In 1960... We got the pill, which was about a lot more than family planning within the holy bonds of marriage. 1969, no-fault divorce. 1973, the legalization of abortion. Then, quite logically, the acceptance and normalization of premarital sex and cohabitation. Many of us can remember when that was called living in sin. Now it's just living together. Then, logically, quite logically, quite logically came the normalization of homosexual behavior. And in 2015, logically, the celebration of so-called homosexual marriage. And now... Quite logically, all the horrors of the transgender movement. They all are links in a chain. A chain intended to bind humanity in the darkness, in misery. There is a theme, absolute rebellion against the Creator. Absolute rebellion against the Creator. Open war against the Creator at the societal, cultural, educational, and governmental level. And the satanic strategy is simply this. Destroy the sanctity of sexuality. Destroy the institution of marriage. Destroy the institution of the nuclear family. Destroy the sanctity of human life. Destroy the institutions of education so that they become institutions of anti-Christian indoctrination. And destroy the church of Jesus Christ with false teaching. And then 
the whole civilization collapses. And there's nothing left but a heap of death and destruction and tyranny in the dominion of darkness. How did we get here? We got here not only due to those pagan secularizing forces at work in society, but also in large measure, my brothers and sisters, in very large measure, in very large measure due to the theological decline and corruption which began about 100 years ago in the mainline Protestant denominations when the leadership in those mainline Protestant denominations began to deny the authority of Scripture and other essential, fundamental doctrines of the true Christian faith. And the corruption of biblical faith really picked up steam in mainline Protestantism about 55 years ago, which means when we were being raised in the church. Here's a quote from one theologian satirizing and bewailing the liberal Protestant theology which had infected the mainline denominations. Listen to this. A God without wrath brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of a Christ without a cross. That quote was written about liberal Protestant theology in 1937. A God without wrath brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of a Christ without a cross. That's what you call an inconsequential faith in which there's absolutely nothing at stake and nothing to believe in and nothing to live for and certainly nothing to die for. Inconsequential faith is a faith that doesn't really matter in any real sense. A faith that's on the periphery of your busy life, you know, part of the nice scheme of life. But it can be neglected and ignored without consequence rather than at the heart of your life and at the heart of your family's life. An inconsequential faith is a faith that isn't going to change your life in terms of the concrete, practical realities of your life, how you spend your money, how you spend your time, how you raise and educate your children. I once heard a church-going man say, well, religion is a good thing, but you ought not to let it change your life. But an inconsequential faith that's not intentional about following Christ daily and that is not deliberate about discipleship is not a faith worth taking seriously. And that, in large measure, is exactly what has happened to American culture through the influence of the liberal mainline Protestant churches, in which many of us, if not most, were raised in our formative years. And you know what? It's painful, but you can look around and see the results of it. Having come back here in 2010, I can see, I can see it generationally. One generation to the next, to the next, to the next spiritual wasteland. Why? Because of mainline liberal Protestantism in this community. It is painful. It is painful to me. It has been heavy, heavy on my heart and mind, and I can see it generationally. And you can too. Now listen to this quote from an anti-Christian philosopher. This is a really good one. 
I'm delighted that liberal theologians do their best to try to accommodate Christianity to modern science, modern culture, and democratic society. If I were a fundamentalist Christian, I'd be appalled by the wishy-washiness of the liberal version of the Christian faith. But since I am a non-believer who is frightened of the barbarity of many fundamentalist Christians, for example, their homophobia, I welcome theological liberalism. Maybe liberal theologians will eventually produce a version of Christianity so wishy-washy that nobody will be interested in being a Christian anymore. Does that hit the bullseye or what? A quote from 2008, but it's an accurate statement about what's been going on in the mainline liberal Protestantism for the last 60 years. A version of Christianity so wishy-washy that nobody will be interested in being a Christian anymore. The satanic strategy has worked. And it's painful to say it, but it's true, and let's be honest. Let judgment begin with the household of God, and let us confess our sins. Over the last 60 years, many nice church-going Christians were not and have not been and are not being faithful in fulfilling the great commission of making disciples of their own children in their own homes. It's painful to say it, but we can look around us and see that sad reality. I mean, that's a national statistic. I'm not, I'm, I'm not punching anybody in the nose here. This is, a, this is a national phenomenon, but it's also local. The secular progressive elites are delighted with the news that more and more people now have no religious affiliation. They are people who, by and large, have grown up in the church over the last 40 years, dress up, show up, check the box, mostly in mainline Protestantism. Now, brothers and sisters, this is the reason that your pastors and elders, your shepherds, care so passionately about Christian education for you and for your, the children of this church. This is the reason that we care about biblical worship and biblical doctrine and your personal commitment to follow Christ. And above all, you know, what is Pastor John so worked up about? Well, this is what I'm so worried Because your eternal soul and the eternal soul of your children is at stake. Now, let me share with you an anecdotal personal observation. Real life, anecdotal personal observation, very common in my observation and consistent. When I'm presiding at a graveside service and invite those present to recite the 23rd Psalm, very, very, very few under the age of 45 can recite Psalm 23 from memory. They sort of muddle along until they remember a familiar phrase. I see it every time. 
and under the age of 30, they don't have a clue. They just stand there looking like they ought to be in the casket. I'm sure that they're nice people from nice families. They were just raised with an inconsequential faith without deliberate discipleship. A faith that doesn't really matter. Maybe no faith at all. It's just an anecdotal observation, but it tells us where we are and how we got here. As a society, we are lost in darkness with a debased mind, a darkened mind, because we have abandoned the Word of God. So part three. Where do we go from here? First of all, we go to Jesus Christ as our only Savior and our only Lord. You know, prior to Romans 12, you've got um, eight or nine and a half chapters of grace and mercy, sovereign grace that saves sinners. So when you get to chapter 12 and the commandment, do not be conformed to this world, it's based on, as, as he says, in response to the mercies of God, This is who God is. He's our Savior. He's our Rescuer. He suffered for us. So first of all, we go to Jesus Christ as our only Lord and our only Savior, and we go to Him in repentance. Seriously, we go to Him with our own deeply personal self-examination and confess to Him all the ways in which we have let ourselves be conformed to this world. And we ask Him to renew our minds by the power of the Holy Spirit through His Holy Word written in Holy Scripture. And with the assurance of His forgiveness, we resolve to turn away from our sinful conformity to this world and to follow Him in new obedience in real life terms. Now, let me tell you, you've heard me quote this and you're going to hear it again. Theologian David Wells has this great, Summary statement. Worldliness is that system of values in which sin seems normal and holiness seems strange. Worldliness is that system of values in which sin seems normal and holiness seems strange. And I can tell you that growing up here in the neighborhood, the last thing you wanted to do was to seem strange, especially with regard to following Jesus. And if it was true 50 years ago, You better believe it's true today. And brothers and sisters, you no longer have the option. You no longer have the luxury of not seeming strange if you are going to follow Jesus Christ as Lord. Where do we go from here? We go back to the Bible. Reformation, revival, and renewal of the church and culture and nations always begins with a return to God's Word. 
So let me ask you this question. Are you reading your Bible every day? If just a little bit in some systematic way. Or are you involved in a group Bible study with a qualified leadership? God breathed out His Word in the Bible, His mind for us. That means that in order to know God, to know God's will, to commune with God and live in fellowship with Him, to live a life pleasing unto Him, it is necessary to read and to meditate and on His Word and to memorize His Word. If you, if you don't know the Bible, you can't know God. <laughs> that's where we are and that's how we got here. So we're going to turn around and start over. How about it? If you need help and encouragement with that, Pastor Jonathan or Scott or I would be overjoyed to help you. And that's what we're here for. And then you, you know that there are all kinds of Bible apps and other resources, the multitude of Ligonier ministry resources that you can listen to while you're driving or, or working in the yard. Listen, this is, this is not a hobby, you know. This is not a hobby. This is life. Life in the midst of this dark and perverse generation. Are you availing yourself of these resources for the renewal of your mind? Sinclair Ferguson's little five-minute podcast over the last two weeks have been absolutely fantastic. You can still download them and get them. But do you see, the more you grow, the more you can help your children and your grandchildren grow, and the more you can befriend your neighbor or a stranger with Christian truth and love... Can your children see you confidently recite Psalm 23 at a graveside? Would they be able to recite Psalm 23 confidently at your funeral? That requires intentional faith and deliberate discipleship. If we're going to shine the light of the gospel in this dark world, if we're going to be the salt of the earth in this putrefying world, then our minds must be renewed by the truth of God's Word. Do you want to grow as a Christian? Now, look, are you aware that we have a really, really, really good adult Sunday school class, the best I've ever been to, with really, 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 really good curriculum content based on God's Word and really, really, really good teachers? Why do about maybe a half of y'all attend? Now, I know we're, I'm preaching to the choir because this is a light attendance today, and most of y'all were in Sunday school. But, I mean, you know, I, look, I'm not trying to shame you or guilt you or coerce you into coming to Sunday school. I'm, that's not the I'm not. I just want to ask yourself this question. Ask yourself this question. Why don't I go to Sunday school? Huh. Why wouldn't I want to deepen my understanding of the Christian faith? Hmm. Ask yourself those questions and see what answer you come up with and see if it's a good answer. Have you invited somebody to come with you? It's a really good class. You're going to enjoy it. You don't have to speak. Nobody's going to call on you. You won't have to pray out loud. Just come. It's great. It's fun. You'll enjoy it. You'll learn. 
You've never been to a Sunday school class like this. Have you, have you invited somebody? Have, I, mean, I mean, I'm a member of this church. Who isn't coming? In this strange new world with all the concerns we have, why, why, why? I mean, think about everything we've rehearsed and everything you hear on the news. I mean, why would you absent yourself and your children from Sunday school and worship on the Lord's Day? Now, I know here I am preaching to the, to the choir, but if somebody's not here today that you know, you can, you know, send them the link to the sermon. Seriously. I mean, think about the world your children and grandchildren are growing up in. Then ask yourself the question, now why would I want myself and my children to be somewhere else on the Lord's Day? Why would I do that? Rather than being in His presence with His people, being fed His Word and experiencing His love in the fellowship of the congregation. What could possibly be more important than that in this strange new world in which we are living Living in this strange new world, ask yourself, am I modeling an intentional faith to my children and grandchildren? Am I deliberately discipling them? Am I teaching them God's Word? Am I helping them memorize God's Word and the Bible doctrines of the catechism? Am I teaching my children the great hymns of the church and singing them around the house? Ask yourself, how important is that to me for my children as they are growing up in this strange new world? What's on your summer reading list? Anything that will feed your soul and help you grow as a Christian? What's on your children's summer reading list? Wholesome classics of children's literature? Age-appropriate devotional books? How about goals this summer for learning more of the catechism? I'm simply encouraging you to think, to think about it, to be intentional, to be deliberate. Intentional faith, deliberate discipleship, conformity to Christ, not conformity to this world, all in response to His mercies, His grace, His love. And brothers and sisters, we're going to end here. Jesus Christ is Lord. He was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell, and on the third day he rose again and ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Jesus Christ is Lord. He is seated at God's right hand, and he must reign until he has made all his enemies a footstool for his feet. The world rages against God and his Christ, and he who sits in the heavens laughs and holds them in derision. He will conquer all his enemies. He will conquer them by converting them or by casting them into the outer darkness forever. But he will bring his everlasting kingdom in the fullness of his glory. And so, my dearly beloved, even now in this strange new world, I can say, you can say it with me. Be cheerful, not fearful. 
Jesus Christ has overcome the world. To God be the glory. Amen. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, how we thank you for loving us so much. How we thank you for your steadfast love and faithfulness. How we thank you for a love that will not let us go. How we pray that you will pour forth your Holy Spirit upon us. How we pray that you will renew our minds and strengthen our hearts. How we pray that you will build up your church, Lord Jesus, to the honor and the glory and the praise of your eternal name. All praise be to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God eternal. Amen. In response to the glorious gospel of our Savior Jesus Christ, let us stand to affirm our faith. The Heidelberg Catechism, number one. Dear Christian, what is your only comfort in life and in death? My only comfort is that I belong, body and soul, in life and in death, not to myself, but to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. At the cost of His own precious blood, He has fully paid for all my sins and has set me free from the dominion of the devil. He also watches over me so well that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. Indeed, all things must work together to fit His purpose for my salvation. Therefore, because I belong to Him, Christ, by His Holy Spirit, also assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly ready and willing from now on to live for Him. Amen.